Gardening friends, and welcome to episode 14 from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. This episode is a veritable feast for butterfly enthusiasts. It's a lepidopteran extravaganza, if there's such a word. If you're wanting to get more of these amazing, beautiful, and colourful insects into your garden, I take a visit to the Nectar Garden at Prunish Abbey in Gloucestershire, where I speak to Tricia Atkinson from Butterfly Conservation about the plants they've planted to encourage more butterflies into the area, both for food for the adult and food plants for the larva too. The pearl-bordered fritillary is a very rare butterfly that's just holding on in a number of sites throughout the UK. I speak to Chris Tracy to discover more about this stunning little butterfly with an interesting lifestyle. As if that's not interesting enough, Sue Smith introduces us to the incredible large blue butterfly as a creature whose life cycle is almost too much to believe. Before we start, let me quickly slip in a mention for my sponsor, my window box, who supply a wide range of period style and modern window boxes in aluminium and steel with drop-in or freestanding troughs to match. Take some time to have a look at their website, go to mywindowbox.com and bring the garden to your window. Let's start by hearing about my visit to the Nectar Garden at Prinish. I'm Tricia Atkinson. I'm Vice Chair of the Gloucestershire Branch of Butterfly Conservation. We're in this beautiful site in, what is it, near Gloucester? I think we're nearer Gloucester, aren't we, than Cheltenham here. And um, we're surrounded by nice tall red brick walls, one of which unfortunately has suffered in the recent weather, but that's going to be rebuilt soon. We're near the bottom of the valley. Now, you, you said you're the Vice Chair of Butterfly Conservation. Can you tell me a little bit more about butterfly conservation before we go any further? Yeah, Butterfly Conservation is a national charity uh, aiming to save butterflies, moths and our environment. Often it's, it's looking after the habitat more than looking at the actual butterflies that we need to do. And it's, um, th- there is a, a main national headquarters in Lulworth, Dorset, but they also rely a lot on volunteers in branches. So, so I'm vice chair of the Gloucestershire branch, which is a branch of volunteers uh, and members. So we've got 800 members in Gloucestershire and we've got a committee of about 15 uh, and various other volunteers. So we aim to do a lot of recording, recording butterflies and moths, do work parties in the winter to help maintain the habitats, uh, do lots of publicity and shows, etc. And also one of the things we do is maintain this uh, butterfly garden here at Prinish. Thank you. Um, now, you mentioned habitats. Now, I don't know much about this subject, and I'm hoping you'll fill me in, but I would imagine when you're looking at a site, you have to think about habitat, you have to think about food plants, larval food plants perhaps, and the adult uh, food plants as well. Um, how have you gone about it here to develop this garden? Well, yes, this garden, we're mainly aiming on nectar plants, so, so that is the food for the adults, the butterflies, but we also do try and encourage a few uh, plants for the caterpillars to feed on. Uh, we've got a few plants in the main garden here, but we've also got uh, caterpillar food plants in our um, wildflower bank, which is just over the other side of the lawn here. Yes. And also long grass, that's the main thing to have. 
uh, because a lot of the butterflies feed on, on grasses, so it's important to maintain an area of long grass for the butterflies, such as meadow browns, ringlets, small heath, those sort of common um, summer meadow butterflies, they need the long grass to feed on. I see, yes. In fact, I found a caterpillar the other day that somebody identified for me as a drinker moth caterpillar, oh, okay. and I think I think it's the, the food plant for the larva is also a grass species and so uh, yeah I can understand how important that is mm-hmm. um, now you mentioned plants as we're sort of surrounded by we've got one two beds here that have been planted up now I first saw this when you first set up the garden in I think it was 2010 and so right, it's yeah. changed somewhat <laughs> yes. since then yeah. in terms of sort of top plants um, any recommendations well we've, we planted it up originally with about a hundred different types of plants Uh, mainly herbaceous perennials but also some annuals and also some shrubs flowering shrubs and the aim was to plant with a a wide variety of plants uh, producing nectar and also important to get ones throughout the season so early in the spring we want crocuses or brescia that sort of stuff for the butterflies and bees that come out out of hibernation early on when there's not much other other nectar sources around and also going on late into the autumn so we've got nicomas daisies and helenium and that sort of those sorts of flowers to produ- provide nectar for the butterflies for those that need to hibernate they've got to build up their resources and build up their body weight to get them through the winter so it's important to have nectar throughout the whole season really i see yes now we're here in june very early june mm-hmm. um I can see we've got centranthus, we've got geranium um, and some poppies, uh, catmint over there as well. Um, what else have I missed? Old mauve, but it's been plenty oh, of yes. wallflower, old mauve. Yes, I've seen that in a lot of gardens. <laughs> that seems to go on forever, doesn't it? It's lovely. It's one of our top ten butterfly plant, what we say, butterfly nectar plants. Yes. We've got a top ten here. I oh, yes, you. you've got a pamphlet, yes. Yeah, in our pamphlet we've got... Budlia is obviously the top one. I can see the, the Budlias in the back, one. yes. We've got three Budlias here. They were, there when we, they were here when we came, which were really lucky. Uh, well-established plants. Uh, but they obviously don't come out in flower till July, August. But they're wonderful when they're out. So Budlia is important. Lavender, very good, for especially for bees, but also good for butterflies. Marjoram, got quite a bit of marjoram. Red Valerium, which is the Centrantus. Yes. Hebe. It's good. Oh, right, yes. You've got a heapy somewhere hiding. <laughs> yes. Sometimes it's over there. Oh, right. Sometimes it's a bit of a job getting heapy through the winter. Sedum, uh, that's good for the in the autumn. For the, the later, later, for commas and Yeah, that's and right. Like that. yes. Red Admiral loves sedum. Micomas daisy, again, an autumn flower. Verbena bonariensis, so that's a good that summer flower. Won't flour. quite be showing yet, but I'm no, sure it's out there. No, we've got a few... The trouble is, but the Vena bonariensis, it's a short-lived perennial. Yes, so it doesn't we have always to get keep, through the winter, does no, it? we no. have to keep re- replacing it, uh, growing on some plants and putting them back. Yes. French marigolds, oh, we yes. think, is one of our best annuals. It's an annual we plant out every year. It hasn't been planted out yet. We're still yes. growing them on. Um, that's, very, that's very good. The um, uh, tortoise, small tortoise shells seem to love the red marigold. And another annual that you can sow directly into the ground is candy tuss that is that is <laughs> here <laughs> <laughs> now trish is just just showing me because they've just had the grass trimmed it's it's rather swamped a few plants but it's in there somewhere <laughs> that is um is very good for gatekeepers different butterflies like different 
flowers. So we, we find, you know, different flowers are, are good for different butterflies. So again, it's trying to find a range and trying to get a little bit of everything in, really. To give the butterflies the choice, then butterflies come, they can decide whether they want to go on the buddleia or the lavender or, or whatever's out at that time of the that time of the year. Now, I've read somewhere that. Um single flowers are preferable to double am i right absolutely yes the important thing is if you're having a daisy type flower um is to have a single flower um so when i say french marigolds it's the single type of french marigold not the doubles so the single open flowers that are easy for the uh, butterflies to uh, obtain the nectar because the double flowers are modified in some way and the nectar isn't is not so easily uh, accessible ah. to the insect i understand some sort of modern hybrid plants don't even have nectar do Possibly, they some, yeah. some are um, yeah. uh, really quite useless to uh, any any uh, butterflies or, or moths yes the more um developed they are the more to um please humans <laughs> probably the least uh, beneficial they are to uh, butterflies bees and other pollinators now um I, I just mentioned moths um have has anybody recorded the moths and the butterflies on this site yes we have come with moth traps and uh, recorded uh, we've got a few records we haven't got all that many records uh, so that's something that would be nice to do more of sometimes when we have our open days we set up a moth trap here the night before so that we can show the public the moths that have been caught overnight and do you know how many butterfly species you've recorded here um probably probably about 16 to 20 i think we've seen all the what i call the common garden butterflies yes we've also seen a few uncommon butterflies Mm -hmm. uh because we're quite close to the uh hills up there and to the woods sometimes butterflies from the woods come down into nectar in the garden so sometimes we get silver wash artilleries oh lovely yes is that the big the The big big orange uh because they're up in um in the woods up there not far away so they tend to come here for the nectar and once we did get a white letter hair streak coming in uh to nectar uh that's doesn't usually come into gardens but they're up in the um trees um they live on elm trees and witch elms so obviously not too far away but they'll come down to nectar and we're very lucky one day to find one of those in the garden now i've already talked about this amazing site with the red brick walls around it and so on um it's part of a a, a monastery isn't it yes yes um how did butterfly conservation come to acquire it or take it take it over (laughs) yes the um the monastery uh used this garden as their veg to produce vegetables and fruit it was their monastery garden but they uh got too elderly i found it difficult to look after and they getting older and they it was just getting more and more derelict and they found in the end they couldn't look after it anymore. So they are, uh, employed someone to turn it into something for community use, non-profit making community use. And this person contacted us and said, would we like a little patch of it to develop as our butterfly garden? Oh, right. So this is what we did. And we chose this area because it's near the entrance. It's by this lovely old brick wall. And it always had three buddleias in there, (laughs) which was a big start. (laughs) Good start, exactly. Now, you've told us all about butterfly conservation itself. Um, How can we get more involved? Right, yes, you can join. If you go on the website, um, butterflyconservation.org, the opportunities to join. And sometimes they do special offers that you can join for half price or free or whatever. Um, So that's a good way of joining. Or if you come to any event... 
or a show that where we're there, that's another opportunity of, to join then. So you can do things like uh, the Big Butterfly Count in July and August. That's, um, again, on the website. You can um, record butterflies in your garden or anywhere else just for 15 minutes. That's a good way of getting involved. And then um, you hand in your data, do you? And then you send in your data online. Yes. So. Um, now, you mentioned a wildflower meadow just yes. now. Can we have a quick look? Yes. Should we have yes. a wander down? Is that newly developed? Yes, we did this about five years ago because we realised that uh, wildflowers are just as important as um, garden flowers for butterflies and moths and insects. Here we are, we're in it now. We've just gone down a few (laughs) steps. So did you sow directly into the... uh into the soil here so what we did we already had this bank a a rough bank uh, with uh, a little bit of grass here there a few weeds basically we got bought plug plants and planted them in in the autumn oh i see yes they've got now got established so we've got lots of bird's foot trefoil oxide daisy scabious some geranium i can see geranium over the back Uh, yes (laughs) napweed we have cowslips early on so we're trying to get uh, and of course we've got yellow rattle in to try and keep the grasses down yes because that, uh, that feeds on the grass roots and so helps reduce the vigor of the grass uh, to allow the wildflowers to um, thrive better because that's one of the biggest problems isn't it um, the competition from grasses often su- suppresses the the growth of the flowers absolutely it's trying to reduce the vigor of the grass it, it already was reasonably um, because because it's on a bank it's a bit stony there are a few old bricks lying around it wasn't rich to start with, but even so, you still need to try and reduce the vigour of the grass. Uh, the bird's foot trefoil has got a quite well established. Yes, it has. There's plenty of that. <laughs> and the oxide daisy. Um, oxide um, daisy is usually quite successful, isn't it? I know in a lot of yeah. seed mixes, it's the yeah. one thing that really succeeds, it, 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 certainly initially. Yeah, it does well, and then after a while, it, 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 it dies out. Yes. yes, amazingly, yeah. But the bird's foot trefoil, for anybody that doesn't know it, it's, a, it's that bright yellow sort of pea-like flower isn't it that's right in yeah. fact it probably is uh, a member of the same family yeah that's right um, it's a type of about 18 inches or two foot yeah, high isn't that's it that's right uh, yes out in the countryside it doesn't grow quite as lush as here it's because it's a little bit wetter here it's, it grows a little bit more sort of rampant uh, but this is also a, f- a caterpillar food plant it's a food plant of the common blue mm-hmm. and the dingy skipper so we're hoping to try and actually get the butterflies laying their eggs here and, and, and um, breeding here and we have we do sometimes see common blues here so uh, we're hoping that they are actually feeding on this um, lovely bird's foot trefoil we've got here Tricia thank you very much it's been amazing I hope people make the effort to come and have a look because it really is worth a visit thank you for your time good luck with any open days you have here and good luck with the wall I hope that gets prepared <laughs> soon <laughs> thank you okay thank you very Thanks. much Thank you, Trish. That was recorded a little while ago, and I think after lockdown is eased, I'll be due another visit to see how the site has developed. Next, I've dug out a very old recording from about 2010 of my conversation with Morris Avent, who is the former National Chairman of Butterfly Conservation and now Conservation Officer of the Wiltshire Branch. Morris tells me all about the Pearl Board of Fertillery, its life cycle and its specific requirements. They, they jointly have the name the woodchopper's friend or the woodcutter's friend because they nearly always colonise areas which have been felled one or two years beforehand yes. because when the, when the woodland is felled, the violets become uh, 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 
move into their own, you know, and uh, yes. you get a huge number of violets. And that is the plant on which the uh, butterflies lay their eggs. So as a result of that, they've, they've always traditionally had the name the woodchopper's friend because people notice the year after the woodland was felled, or a couple of years after the woodland was felled, you get a huge number of fertility. Yes. Well, yeah. and, until the Second World War, a tremendous number of people used timber for heating their houses and so on. Suddenly, after the Second World War, utility distribution became much greater. You know, the gas industry, the electricity industry distributed to just about every household. Therefore, many, many, many less people used uh, timber. As a result, there's much less felling. And so a butterfly that was really quite common in just about every woodland in um, Britain has disappeared. So the pearl border, the small pearl border, and the heath fritillary, all of which butterflies weren't all that rare, uh, between the two wars have suddenly become great rarities. So how are its numbers at the moment? I mean, are they improving through conservation? Well, uh, at last people have realised what is needed, um, but it's a quite a, quite an odd form of conservation in that uh, you've got to keep felling yes. woodland. And people, people think conservation is to preserve woodland or conserve woodland in the sense of letting the trees grow. But yes. in fact, for this particular butterfly, you've got to preserve woodland by... Um, dealing with it all the time by felling it in pockets all the time. Wasn't that the problem they had in the early days with the large blue, where people would uh, sort of buy it or preserve areas of, of pasture and, of course, not touch it? And yeah. suddenly, uh, that's right. You know, and those it, close cropped hillsides that you need yeah, were gone. <laughs> absolutely right. And I mean, a lot of that was to do with the the myxomatosis in rabbits as well was oh, part uh, of yes. that because obviously instead of rabbits grazing the grassland, which they traditionally done. The rabbits disappeared, and in the lack of, uh, as you say, grazing by farm animals as well, um, the, the butterfly disappeared. It needs warmth, and warmth means very short turf, yes. and without short turf, you have a problem. Yes. <laughs> so, so this butterfly we're looking for today, what, what does it look like? Uh, well, how, how will I uh, well, differentiate it between all the a, other brown butterflies? It's a sort of, <laughs> what shall I say, it's a sort of uh, bronzy, orange, brown colour. Yes. Um, the, I, I understand fritillary was a pattern, is, is, a, is a, an, a, a Latin word, fritillaris was a Latin word, and it described a pattern. And there is also a fritillary flower. That's right, and they snake's have, head. Yes. Yeah, snake's head has exactly the same pattern on its surface. Ah, and so, Because when I mentioned the uh, pearl-bordered fritillary to somebody, they said, well, where does that grow? <laughs> you know, uh, what sort of yeah, soils right. does it does Well, it that's the reason for the confusion. They're both named after a particular pattern. So it's got quite a pattern of dark uh, darkness on this very bronze-orange wing. Yes. Uh, the pearl-bordered and the small pearl-bordered are very similar. Uh, the pearl bordering on the edge of the wing is slightly different one to the other. Um, but the small pearl border tends to inhabit damper woodlands, much damper woodlands. Oh, right. We today are looking for the pearl bordered, I believe. Thank you, Morris. Now, sticking with the pearl border fritillary, I speak to Chris Tracy, who edits the newsletter for Gloucestershire branch of Butterfly Conservation. Chris has become an expert on this butterfly and its particular needs and looks after it on a site covering thousands of acres. I'm on the Bathurst estate near Sirencester, playground of 18th century poet Alexander Pope, and I'm with Chris Tracy from Butterfly Conservation. Morning, Chris. Morning, Geoff. Now, we were here a couple of weeks ago and we were rather caught out by the weather and by the noise from brush cutters and chainsaws, so we're back today where it's a bit quieter. Chris, tell us what you're doing here and what you're doing particularly for the pearl bordered fritillary. 
Um, well, the purple border fritillary is a woodland butterfly. Um, it used to be widespread throughout Britain uh, when, in the days when the, they used to do coppicing oaks um, underneath the oak trees. Um, these days it's in woodland where they, uh, you have large open clearings um, where it's caterpillar food plant violet grows and also the nectar plant for the butterflies um, bugle. And this combination is quite hard to, um, to maintain. Um, so we keep some of the areas open. We take out the bramble, we take out the bracken, and we have chainsaws taking down the uh, silver birch that haven't been planted. And uh, the combination then allows the violets to grow a bit more and we give the um, butterfly a little more time in each compartment. Um, so we've been doing this for about 10 years now with the, um, the help of the forest manager and uh, the estate staff and the volunteers from Butterfly Conservation Gloucestershire Branch. Yes, now I, the, the compartments we're by, I, I was saying to you earlier, I remember being by this compartment about 10 years ago when it was virtually clear. Um, it's now all grown up. Um, there's a lot of, I suppose, what you'd call invasive species. Certainly they're, they're um, changing the habitat significantly. Um, so what particular... Uh, conditions do this butterfly like and what do you do to this environment to make it more suitable for them? Well they seem to like um, some bracken um, in the compartment and this particular compartment um, was was clear felled about uh, probably about 15 years ago I should think. Um, it used to have Scots pine in it and when the Scots pine was cleared um, we had quite a few violets come back then and the butterfly moved in. It was quite widespread more so than now um, the butterfly moved in and the compartment, we managed to keep it going for 10, 12 years in this compartment. And then we had, the, the obviously the planted trees grew up and shaded out the violets. Um, lots more bracken came and bramble. So, so we had, it's a, it's a lovely um, compartment because it faces south and it's on a slope and that heats up the ground uh, quite quickly. So the caterpillars, when they emerge in the spring, need to bask on the dried leaves. And this was ideal. This aspect was ideal. And there aren't very many similar compartments on the estate uh, now. So it's a constant fight, basically, to try and uh, keep some of this habitat open. Um, are you following around the foresters as they clear fell certain areas? Well, what we do, actually, is follow the butterfly. Um, the butterfly is obviously finding violets, um, so... The, the same compartments have been viable for several years now so what we're trying to do is find out where the butterfly is and enlarge the habitat enhance the compartment for it to keep it there for, for a while in the hope that like we in 2011 we had um, a large population explosion and the butterfly was all over the estate so we're hoping that will happen again if the weather conditions are right it will spread out and there'll be plenty of places for it to go to. Now, what I'm particularly interested in, Chris, is the life cycle of this butterfly. Um, I know things like the silverwash fertility have quite interesting um, life cycles where they, I think they lay eggs on an oak tree and the little larvae then overwinter and come down onto their food plant. Um, the large blue, of course, um, its larvae overwinters in, in anthills. Anything exciting about the poor border fertility? Well, the larvae overwinter as caterpillars and... Um we have to be quite careful that we don't just destroy the habitat rather than enhance the habitat because obviously the caterpillars are there. Now, we're not quite sure exactly. They're not underground. They're sort of low down in the low vegetation. So, And um, yes, they go into hibernation as quite small larvae. 
then they they emerge in the spring when the weather starts to warm up. And if you've ever felt the ground in the spring on a a warm south-facing slope, down at leaf level, it's actually quite hot. So the larvae come out and they bask on the leaves and they start um, then finding small violets and eat their way through the violets and the the violet flowers and the leaves. Um, And then they they sort of eat and eat and eat and they go into chrysalis about uh, April time. And then they emerge... uh, mid-May normally, about mid-May, although it can vary quite a lot, um, the actual emergence time. Now, as I've mentioned, we're on the Bathurst estate in Gloucestershire. Um, Are there any other strongholds of the butterfly around the country that you know of? Well, we're we're rather isolated in Gloucestershire. There's a very small colony in the south of Wiltshire. Um, There there are some colonies in uh, Wales, South Wales, um, also Devon is a stronghold at the moment and then and then you go north I think um, Morecambe Bay so so it's quite it's a very special butterfly and um, oh the New Forest is a, a stronghold too um, but but definitely diminishing and I think it's gone down by something like 85-90% in the, the last 20 years or something is it? Mm. so uh, do you hold out much hope for the butterfly because I know there's a lot of success stories with butterflies and um, some fertilities i think the marsh fertility for instance has done very well recently um what, what what's the what's the general trend would you say at the moment well the bathurst estate um there is about three and a half thousand acres of uh, forestry here so there should be enough room for them to spread out and find some suitable habitat um so we've also just um found out about a grass control that will control these grassy uh, bits and um hopefully kill the grass and allow the violets to thrive um, so we're going to try that i'll just butt in chris was just telling me a bit earlier that actually um a lot of the, the it, it's attributed to perhaps the milder winters where some of the grasses aren't killed off over winter so you don't get the open ground for the uh, butterfly food plants to flourish am i, am I right with that chris yes that's yeah. right the grass uh, a lot of the trouble is uh, the, the compartments are cleared and they look as though they could be suitable and then uh, the mild winter comes and just grass keeps growing so so the violets can't grow now you mentioned three and a half thousand acres that's quite a bit of space they've got their own forestry team but they still need the butterflies still need some help from you um you meant i mentioned a work party earlier how can people get involved in that or or butterfly conservation in general well we'd love to have some more volunteers in our winter work parties but we normally have two uh, win- winter work parties uh, we've just completed our second one so so we'd love to have um volunteers anyone's welcome um uh, the way to find out about the uh, uh volunteer work parties is through the butterfly conservation gloucestershire branch website all those events are on there so if you could just remind us again when people can look out for this butterfly well they they usually emerge around the middle of may um uh, but they can sometimes in good years sometimes the end of april they fly for about four weeks so in the middle of may look out for the butterfly small orange butterfly um, and if you see the sightings, um, it's good to have a grid reference. Um, I have an app, a free app on my phone called Grid Reference Finder. So I can immediately find exactly the grid spot and that would be really helpful for us to know where the butterfly is and where we can target our management in the future for it. Thank you, Chris. I wish you success with all the hard work you and your volunteers are putting in. I'm on my way to a place that must be a mecca for butterfly enthusiasts in the UK. I'm heading towards Daneway Banks in Gloucestershire. 
which is the home of a very rare butterfly with a very interesting life cycle. And I'm hoping that I'll bump into somebody that can tell me all about it. And there is somebody. There's Sue Smith from Butterfly Conservation. I'll go and talk to Sue. Um, Sue, now we're at Daneway Banks in Gloucestershire and it's, a, it's an area of sort of unimproved Cotswold limestone, I think, isn't it? Um, now, of course, what is so special about this site is the fact that we've got the large blue butterfly. Right. Now, can you tell us what is so special about that butterfly? Well, the reason it's so special is that it doesn't just uh, nectar on plants and um, caterpillars feed on plants. They're, they, they're meat eaters, really, because they eat the grubs of the ant of the Myrmica sabuleti. So the large blue lays its eggs on thyme flowers, but on this site it also uses marjoram. And uh, the little tiny caterpillar lives on the thyme flowers or the margarine flowers for the first, I think it's a couple of instars or so. And then it falls to the ground. And uh, within minutes, an ant will come along and have a little sniff around at it. Um, and then it might go away and then might be some more come round. And then at some point, the uh, ant gets into a frenzy, stroking the caterpillar with its antennae. And then again, at some point, um, I think the caterpillar, I heard the other day that it's... Uh, it changes the shape of its body, um, which is a signal to the ant to pick it up and take it down into its ant nest. And these aren't the ant hills that you see. These are ant nests just under the ground. Um, and it stays in there and it feeds off the ant grubs. But because um, it's taken on the scent of the ant, it's not regarded as a foreigner. So they don't eject it. Whereas there are some other ant species in this country which will take it down into their ant nest. But once it's got in there... They think, aha, there's something up here. <laughs> Not one of ours. Quick, get rid of it. Um, but with Myrmica sabuleti, they uh, haven't recognised that it's something different. So it stays in the ant nest um, all through the winter and it eats the ant grubs and it turns into a chrysalis in the ant nest before it then emerges in the usually sort of beginning to the middle of June the following year. So it's flying around now and then it will lay its eggs and... Uh, before long it will be in the ant nest and it will stay there for the rest of the year now it's quite a rare butterfly what challenges does it face well it it, it is rare and it actually became extinct in this country in the late 1970s um uh, partly because of myxomatosis and a change in, in management of grassland and if the grass grasses get too long um the ground temperature gets too um cold for the ants so everything has to be just right. The temperature of the ground has to be right. The uh, length of the turf has to be right. And, you know, everything has to be just right for them to survive. So it's quite a tricky existence that they have. Yes. Yeah, so you haven't introduced 2,000 rabbits here. So how do you manage the, <laughs> that, that grass sward? <laughs> Yeah, so we're actually on Daneway Banks, um, just outside Sirencester, which is now owned by the Gloucestershire Wildlife Trust. And they manage the site uh, by compartmental grazing. That, so they've um, sectioned it off for different areas. So there's different lengths of turf in different areas for different species of things, plants and um, insects, as well as, you know, the butterflies, as well as beetles and things. Um, and uh, they graze it with uh, sheep and ponies. It is an interesting butterfly. It is rare. So 
you're not here just to look at it you're here in a way to police it aren't you uh, well i'm a on this occasion i'm a gloucestershire wildlife trust volunteer warden and so they have wardens here on the site throughout the large blue season um, so there's um, various sessions that we all come to and and sort of walk around the site and try and find out where the large, large blues are and we can tell the visitors where they are and uh, see where they've come from and all that sort of thing so it's quite interesting meeting different people as well as looking for butterflies Sue, thanks for your time. I ambushed you a little bit. You can get back to your husband now and uh, start looking for the butterfly. Thanks very much. What an amazing creature. A vegetarian that gets the taste for tender ant meat. You couldn't make it up. Well, I hope all these stories have piqued your interest in encouraging butterflies into your garden or even helping with one of the projects in your area. To find out where you can help out, go to butterfly-conservation.org where you can find a link to your local branch. They cover the far south in Cornwall up to the highlands and islands of Scotland, so there should be a branch close to you. If you've enjoyed this, you can listen to more episodes on my website, joffelfic.co.uk, or where you always listen to your podcasts. I'll leave you with Flutterby Butterfly from Josh Woodward, which is available under Creative Commons 4.0. Thank you for listening, and may your secateurs be well honed, your family safe in these times, and your garden a playground for a whole host of butterflies and moths. I'll see you soon. the sky into the sky till you're out of sight and I won't run I won't fight oh oh I've got my feet on the Got my feet on the ground